It was 56 years ago, this month, on April the 15th, 1965, when Jackie DeShannon released the song, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. That was 1965. A little over a year later, in September of 1966, the original Star Trek TV series would preview on television, starring William, Shat William Shatner. And that show had some of the most amazing, unbelievable, high-tech, never will such things ever even be possible, I don't know how they dream this stuff up type of stuff, as ovens that actually cook food in a matter of seconds as doors that actually slide open as you approach them. And also had these little handheld communicators. You could actually talk to people with no wires or cords hooked to those things. It was amazing. Isn't it amazing how the more things change, the more they remain the same? Obviously, we have far surpassed the high-tech sci-fi 1967 Star Trek technology in some ways. But what the world needs now is still love, sweet love. We certainly have not outlived our need for that. In fact, if you've watched any of the local, uh, any of the news or, or listened to it, you know exactly what I'm talking about in so many areas. How many of you, now let me rephrase that, hopefully, <clears throat> You've all read the bulletin article. If you have not, there are copies available and most everybody's got it on their email. There is a, an article in the bulletin that I saw, it was written by Brett Petrillo and it was entitled Pre-Enraged, not Pre-Engaged, Pre-Enraged. I wanna share with you some excerpts from that article. Brother Petrillo wrote the following. <clears throat> Our nation is deeply divided. However, even though the nation seems to be split like the East is from the West, they all actually share a common trait, pre-enraged. In other words, people are living in a continual state of anger. Then when an event unfolds, it simply provides an outlet for this anger. All the while, the pressure continues to build inside day after day in our cultural volcano. Brother Petrillo continues, are we really so blind that we can't see the real problem here? Let's stop beating around the bush. The problem is a godless society. We are seeing the tragic, rotten fruits of a society that is living in darkness. Galatians 5, 19 through 22. Few are focused on God. Few look to his word for guidance. And until something changes, the volcano will continue to erupt. God detailed the perfect solution in Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. While he was speaking of church relationships, it's also the perfect 
solution for our culture today as well. So what should the Christian's response be? Brother Petrillo then goes on to make four phenomenal points from Ephesians 4, 29 and following. And he concludes his article by stating, we are living in a world that's exploding, but Christians don't have to. May we have the self-control and courage to respond in the way God has told us to respond. And I read that and I looked at it and it was a wonderful article. I hope you take time to read it. However, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, is not the only place that speaks of how our church relationships should look and how our church relationships do. Brethren, they do. Our church relationships, when they are what God told us to have them be, they serve as the perfect solution and example for all of our culture's problems. They serve as the perfect example to stop these continual explosions of anger and animosity that we see there. And I don't care which news headline you're looking at, some of the, the terrible stuff that continues happening around our country. People are just angry and they're living, as he said, pre-enraged. And, and when something comes up, everybody's got to jump on a side and everybody's got to fight with everybody else. It seems like just everybody wants to fight over something. But we have the cure. Our instruction on how we are to treat each other. Our instruction and in, in, in what we have the opportunity to do is to show the world there's a better way. There's a better way. This morning, I'd like to take a look at that same solution as expressed in some of Paul's epistles and particularly from the book of Galatians. And once again, as we do this, and you can be opening to Galatians, please do so. But as we do so, again, please remember Brother Petrillo's words. While Paul was speaking of church relationships, this is the perfect solution for our culture as well. And, and I want to take just a minute. I looked through our songbook for that song. Remember that kid's song? We call it kid's songs. One of the most profound songs that we could sing. That kid's song, this little light of mine. I'm going to let, remember we do your Bible class, VBS, you know, we taught the kids, right? Hannah's less than two years old, and she knows to put her finger up and go, and, you know, the whole, right, all of the hand motions, right? This little light of mine. When Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to let our light shine, that we are to let our light shine to a dark world, this morning's sermon is going to explain and expound upon that. That's what this morning's sermon is all about. Our world is living angry. Every new news story of shooting or violence or riots or this or that or something else, people are just angry. And, and, and they live in a world of darkness without God. And, and if we can just take that light that we have and shine it in there, and that light that we have is how we respond to each other. I think you'll see what I mean in a moment here. Let us get through Galatians. Chapter 5, to begin with, I want to begin with verses 13 through 15. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Paul writes to our brethren in the first century church, churches of Galatia. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another. Beware, lest you be consumed 
by one another. Several things to notice from this particular text as we begin. Love that does not serve the other person is not love. Love that does not serve the other isn't love. God intended and designed it so that the world would be able to see in his church, listen closely church, God designed it so that the outside world living in darkness would see in his church a very diversified group of people, Galatians 3, 26 through 28, who, although they were very diversified, would remain united and unified despite their differences, as seen in their ability to love, serve, and accept, and put one another first, instead of just another worldly group that would bite and devour one another over the smallest of differences. In Galatians chapter 5, continuing a little further on, in verses 19 through 21, Paul goes on to tell us what the lives look like of those in the world of the unsaved who don't know Jesus. Paul goes on to tell us what lives look like and what they're comprised of in, in the world out there that doesn't have Jesus' spirit abiding within them. And boy, if this doesn't describe the world we're living in and its headlines today, I don't know what does. Galatians 5, 19, he says the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, or anger, depending on your version, selfish ambitions, dissensions, that just means quarreling, fighting, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, and the like, anything like those, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then by contrast, he goes on to show in the next few verses what a life looks like that's lived in the Lord's presence, what a life looks like that is lived by one who, who's walking in the light, who's, who's living for God. He, he goes on to tell you the fruit that comes out of a life wherein God's spirit truly lives and abides in the heart of that person who will inherit the kingdom, who will go to heaven. And this is what he says. But, that is by contrast, the fruit of the spirit, and I know this is a familiar text, but I think we're going to say some things that, that, that might be a little different than maybe you've heard before on this, so, so just stay tuned with me here. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Boy, does our world need those things today, doesn't it? Patience or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, self-control. Against such, there is no law. 
First one he mentions is love. Jesus had already made the comparison incredibly clear between the world's hatred and animosity and rejection and resentment of those who were of a contrarian opinion or mindset and the Christian's love, acceptance, and benevolence for those who are of a different mindset. He made this clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He said there's a stark difference. Show them the difference, he says. There is a stark difference, and, and he showed us that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 43 through 46, when he said this, he said, you've heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Hate on those people who don't agree with you. He said, you've heard that said. But Jesus said, that isn't what I say. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. He didn't say talk about it. He said do it. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus said somebody hurts you, pray for them. Somebody mistreats you, serve them. Think about some of the most recent headlines, and I'm probably we're all thinking of different ones, and that's okay, but, but think of, in the past week or two, some of the most recent headlines, and then ask yourself, boy, couldn't our world today use a whopping dose of Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 46. Couldn't our antagonistic old world use a whole lot more of love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, If you think they could, raise your hand. Now the next question. This is the kicker. The next question is, where are they going to learn to do that if they don't see it in us? Think about that. Where are they going to learn that if they don't see it in us? Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5, 46, that we, as those who are to show the rest of the world the way to him by the way we live, must never therefore walk in the same darkness as they do when he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? He said, look, if you're just being friendly with those who are friendly to you and you're just loving on those who are loving on you, hey, the pagans do that. You know, different in the world around you. He said, that doesn't make any difference. That doesn't allow you to show them the light of what it's supposed to look like. That, they're doing that. Big deal. Love your enemies. The second element of the fruit of the Spirit is seen in Galatians 5. This old world cannot know by itself without Jesus, but that only we as New Testament Christians can legitimately, legitimately and for real, live and express and show to them every single day as long as we live is joy. And you say, wait a minute, there's a lot of joyful pagans. Not every day long lasting because they're only joyful as long as the joyful circumstances around them last and then they get miserable. We have something different. We have 
a joy that is a legitimate, I know where I'm going when I die. Thank God for the blood of Christ. Thank God that my sins are forgiven. We have a joy based on that that should carry us through no matter what our circumstances are. That legitimate everyday joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, when Satan takes away our joy or we neglect it or overlook it, we let him take away our strength. The strength of our Christianity is our joy, according to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And sometimes we either forget that, or we neglect it, or we overlook it, or we minimize it, or we let Satan sidetrack and steal it. But we don't have to. Brethren, when we let Satan do that, that's on us. I'm sorry, but it's on us. If you let something steal your joy, that's on you. How dare you say that? Well, I'll tell you how. Because this past week, at the beginning of the week, I let him steal mine. That's how I know, amongst other things. Monday and Tuesday, I just didn't seem to have a lot of joy. Things just, I was just down. I was flat. And I woke up Wednesday morning. Before I got out of bed. And I thought, what is my problem? <laughs> Jesus Christ died for me. I have a home reserved for me in heaven that is protected by the power of God. I got nothing on this earth not to be joyful about. And you know, Wednesday, something changed. Duh. I took my joy back. Because you see, whether I let Satan or circumstances have it, or whether I choose to keep it, is on me. And I thought, I need my joy. And so focused on God and what I've got waiting. Listen. Whenever we find that we are experiencing far more fear and anxiety than joy and happiness in our life, might I suggest that we spend a little less time with the bad news of the world and a whole lot more time with the good news of the word. Jesus told us in Mark 7, 21 through 23, that evil thoughts, Adultery, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Yes, he said pride and foolishness. It's in Mark 7, 21 through 23. You can check it out. Pride and foolishness all come from within and defile a man. Hold that thought. In Luke 6, 45, he says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good fruit, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Okay. Putting those two texts together, what does that mean? That means that whatever I'm taking in and storing up in my heart is what's going to come out of my mouth. That's what that means. Okay? But it's not just whatever I'm taking in all the time. Storing it up in my heart is going to come out. It's not just that. Because the fruit that comes out of our lives, like the words that come out of our mouths, is the direct result of what we fill our lives and our hearts and our minds with. If we fill our hearts and minds with the good news of the word, 
as opposed to the bad news of the world, then we will have the joy of the Lord instead of the anger of the world in our hearts. And if we have the joy of the Lord because we focused on the word of the Lord, and we don't have the anger of the world because we're not focused on the bad news of the world, but we've got that joy in our hearts, guess what's going to come out of our lives and our fruit? That joy. And so we as Christians need to stock up on the word of God and, and have our hearts filled with joy so that that's what comes out of our lives and we need to show the world how to do that. But another overlooked element of, of, of this joy, did you notice this? Don't know, I never really thought about this much before preparing this sermon. Did you notice when we're talking about this joy, that this joy flows directly out of the love which immediately precedes it in this verse. Think about that. This joy flows directly out of the love that immediately precedes it in Galatians 5.22. In other words, who are the happiest, most joyful Christians in the congregation, any congregation in the church? I'll tell you who they are. They're those people who are continually loving and serving their brethren. That's who they are. This joy flows out of that kind of love that we are to have for one another. Christians who constantly love, serve, and accept all of their brethren in the most Christ-like fashion enjoy the fullest joy possible. Let me tie in another verse real quick here just to show you that. Turn to John 15, look at verses 10 through 12. Sometimes we say, well, I'm just, I'm just not happy. Go serve your brethren. Well, I'm just not happy. Love every one of your brethren. Accept them, forgive them, work with them. Make you happy. Let's, let's take a look at this verse. John 15. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 10. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Follow the progression. Okay? He said in verse 10 that we need to keep his commandments, plain and simple. These things he spoke to us so that we would have joy, and his commandment is that we love one another. Okay, so if joy comes from keeping his commandments, and his commandment is that we love one another, then in loving one another we find our fullest joy. We have joy abundantly, we have it to the fullest. Moving on third element of the fruit of the Spirit that this fearful, desperate old world so desperately needs to see us just project like, like, like a, a lighthouse beam into their darkness, and which, once again, can only be found legitimately in us as New Testament Christians, is peace. Lasting peace. Peace when the worst happens. Peace in our relationships. We have peace on every level, thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? We're to show the world that. We have peace on every level. First off, we have been justified by faith, so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5 and verse 1. We have peace with God. Then, because we have peace with God, we have peace within, Romans 8, 6. 
For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we have peace with God, thank you to Jesus. Because we have peace with God, we have peace within. And because we have peace within, number three, we can have and live in peace with one another. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. If we have peace in our souls because we've been justified before God by the blood of Christ, we have peace in our hearts because we have peace with God, then what's going to come out of our hearts? Peace with one another. Boy, does our old world need more peace. Do they need to take that instruction to heart? And God designed the church, us, you and me, so we could show them what that looks like. So we could shine that light and show them, hey, this is what it looks like to be at peace with God, to be at peace within, and to be at peace with this diversified group that I'm part of. Does our world need that? Wow. Fourthly, fourth essential element of the fruit of the spirit that our world our hate-filled and pride-filled and selfish world so desperately needs to see on full display in our lives today is patience, brethren. The patience of knowing that God always keeps his promises no matter what. Does that give us patience waiting on God? Those who wait upon the Lord, we know, right? The patience of knowing God keeps his promises always. 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. The patience of knowing that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. If I know God causes all things in my life to work together for good, does that help me be patient? Romans 8, 20, sure does. Man, I can't wait to see what God does with this. You ever ask, you ever get in a bind and say, man, I can't wait to see what God does with this. So we're patient. But we also need the patience of knowing what King David, the man after God's own heart, knew and wrote down for us in Psalm 37. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to turn there. And as we turn to Psalm 37 and look at the first eight verses, I want you to ask yourself a question. If the world around us, in all of its volatile pre-enragement, could understand and take this to heart, do you suppose it would diffuse some things Psalm 37, follow along with me, please. Beginning at verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Man, if everybody in the world would take that to heart, wouldn't this be an awesome place to be? Trust in the Lord and do good. No matter what anybody else is doing, do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. For the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patient, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. D don't fret, God said. Don't, don't worry. Don't get all angry. Be patient. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Little quick side note. Fretting, God says, only causes harm. That's all it does. So if you want to cause yourself some harm, fret it up. That's all it does. According to God. He said, no. 
That would diffuse a lot. The fifth essential element of the fruit of the Spirit, which are divided, segregated, torn apart, old world so desperately needs to see projected into their darkness is the light of kindness. Kindness. You see, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us, and because he has therefore given us such lasting joy in our hearts, peace in our souls, and patience in our daily lives, this all can't help but translate into a Christian's continually showing Christ-like kindness to everyone around him. Listen, if your life is full of the love of God, and you're joyful every day because of what God's done for you, and you have peace with God, and you have peace within, you have peace with one another, and you have, so you have patience, is that gonna cause you to be kind to other people? Sure is, That's, that flows, these all flow. Our world needs kindness, but the thing is, this type of kindness isn't just talking about being nice to somebody. It's, 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 it's nice on steroids you can't imagine. It's not just merely being nice or speaking nicely to someone. Kindness in the Bible is made up of so much more than that. What exactly is it made up of? Turn to me to Ephesians 2. I'll show you what kindness is comprised of. It's not just saying something nice to somebody. In Ephesians 2, we look at verse 4. Love to hear those Bibles turning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, he's talked about in verses 1 through 3 how we were all dead and lost in our transgressions and our sins. He says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show, watch this phrase, the exceeding riches of his grace. How? Well, in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want us to notice first off from Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, that kindness as it is described here in this passage is shown to enemies. We were enemies of God. We walked according to the world. We were children of wrath, he says in verses 1 through 3. This type of kindness is shown to enemies or to those who are antagonistic toward us. The second thing I would notice or have us notice is these three terms. His great love, rich in mercy, and the exceeding riches of his grace. How are those three wonderful things put on display or... What are they all three components of? When you put together his great love, being rich in mercy, and the exceeding riches of his grace, what do they all make up? What are they all components of? Biblical kindness. That's what biblical kindness is comprised of. He said right there that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Where? In his kindness. Kindness includes the riches of God's grace. Mm. And you know what? 
That's the kind of kindness we're to show to one another because the world don't know how to show it like we do. The world, has not, the world that has not accepted the gift of Christ, the world that has not experienced his grace and his kindness to know that they are saved by the blood of Christ, those who have denied that, they, they don't know how to do this. But, but not only do we read that God did it for us and this is what kindness is comprised of, it's what he said we must have for one another, do we? Colossians 3, this is the plan, brethren. Look in Colossians 3. He said, this is how you show them. Go out there, church, and show them. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 12, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, that is, as the church, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Colossians 3, 12. Tender mercies. Kindness. Humility. And remember, kindness isn't just saying something nice. Humility, meekness, patience, or long-suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone, anyone, has a complaint against another, anyone in the church has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Then he takes it up a level and says, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Kindness that includes the love and mercy and grace of God is expressed to us. As we express that to one another, we show the world this little light of mine Show them what they need in their darkness, in their pre-enraged state. The sixth element of the fruit of the Spirit, which our decaying, divided old world so desperately needs universally injected into it, is just good, old-fashioned goodness. Goodness. What are we talking about when we talk about goodness? Look in Ephesians 5. Paul explains. Ephesians 5. Verses 8 through 11, Paul will explain. He says, for you were once darkness. You know, y'all lived in that world out there. You were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk means every day. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit. See, Galatians 5 is not the only place it's mentioned. The fruit of the Spirit is in all, here comes our word, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Those are synonyms. What is goodness? Goodness is righteousness. Where does goodness come from? The truth of the word of God. When we talk about goodness, we're talking about doing the right thing. We're talking about doing the good thing. We're talking about doing it according to the truth of God's word. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Kirk made an excellent comment this morning in Bible class. We can't tell others to go look in book, chapter, and verse if we don't know book, chapter, and verse about the topic. We must find out what is acceptable to the Lord. That's goodness. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Listen, it is the good and right thing to do to expose evil. Now, we need to do it lovingly, but it's okay to call evil evil. We're supposed to. We're supposed to find out what God's will is, and then those things that run contrary to God's will, we are supposed to expose and say, that's wrong. That is a good thing to do. That is the goodness of God. 
The next element of the fruit of the Spirit, number seven. You know, seven's a good Bible number, isn't it? Seven means completeness, right? The seventh element regarding the fruit of the Spirit that must come out of our lives if we are truly to shine the light of Christ into the darkness of the world around us is actually, in my opinion, the most important. Without number seven, the list falls down. Number seven is the one that all of the rest of them rest on as its foundation. It is the one that all of them stand upon, and that is faithfulness. Why do I say it's the one they all stand upon? Colossians 3, 16 and 17 will explain it. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Faithfulness to God's word. Faithfulness to God's word is what love and joy and all the rest of this stands upon. If we are not faithful to the word, if we do not know the word, if we do not keep the word, if we do not keep the commandments, without the word of God, we wouldn't know what love and joy and the peace and everything we're supposed to have is all about, and we couldn't have it because we wouldn't know about Jesus. So faithfulness to the word of God is so important, but that's part of the fruit of the spirit. Number eight. The eighth element that sets us apart from the rest of the world in which we desperately must show this lost world around us is gentleness. And not just any old gentleness, not just any old worldly man-defined gentleness. It must be gentleness as God described it. God did tell us what he meant by this word. It's in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. Apostle Paul wrote to our first century brethren in Thessalonica about gentleness, and this is what he said. This is how we are to be with each other. This is how we are to be with each other so we can show the world what it's supposed to look like. He said there, but we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You take a, a new mom, take this precious, beautiful baby, would she protect that baby at all cost? She gentle with that baby? Baby cries, what'd she do? Stop it! No. What'd she do? Rock that baby, love that baby, hold that baby close, feed that baby, adore that baby. And he said, that's what we need to do to each other. He said, we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become so dear to us. He said, we were so affectionately longing for you. Brethren, we need to affectionately long for those who are not here with us to the point that we gently and tenderly let them know how affectionately we long for them to worship with us again. The ninth and final element of the fruit of the Spirit that must be on exhibit in our lives is self-control. We think of self-control as, well, if I'm not out gambling, smoking, drinking, doing what, no. Yeah, that's part of it, but that ain't all of it. We must exhibit and show the world self-control. Self-control when those around you are acting out of anger, bitterness, envy, 
selfishness or resentment. Here's something we often forget, and you can talk to me about this later if you disagree. Nobody can make you mad. Why don't you think about that? Nobody can make you mad. Let me say it one more time just for emphasis. It's like those commercials on TV where they repeat the number and drive you insane about six times because they want you to remember it. Well, I hope drive you insane with this one. Nobody can make you mad. Your brother cannot make you mad. Your sister cannot make you mad. The preacher cannot make you mad. The elders cannot make you mad. Nobody can make you mad. They can't. They can do something to you which you then make the choice how you're going to respond to it. Did you get that? When somebody says or does something positive or negative to you, you choose how you are going to feel about it. I couldn't make you mad if I wanted to. But I could say something to you probably wherein you would choose to be mad. Or you could choose to love. Or you could choose to instruct or correct. But nobody can make you mad. Nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you bitter. That's a personal choice. These are all choices an individual makes for themselves in response to somebody else's actions. It's like when somebody, somebody says, well, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so did this or that, I'm leaving the church. Come judgment day, you're not going to be able to stand up there and say, well, so-and-so said something awful to me. I just felt so bad I left, Lord. It ain't going to work. Yeah, sometimes people say awful things. Yeah, they do. Some, we're all human. Sometimes we mess up. But whether you go or whether you stay on judgment day is going to be on your shoulders. The devil don't make you do it. He may tempt you to do it, but you choose. Listen, self-control says I'm not going to respond in a bad way. I'm going to respond this way. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and I know that, so I'm going to choose not to respond in anger. I'm going to control myself. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I'm going to control myself. Even when somebody else is angry, I'm going to control myself by relying on that same Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit comes out of our lives because the Spirit's in our lives. I am going to rely on that same spirit that Jesus did when they took him out to nail him to a cross. And what did he say? Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to rely on that spirit. I'm going to rely on that spirit that Jesus had that said to his disciples, don't you know that I could call my heavenly father and he would at once put at my, put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? But he didn't. That's self-control. And, and as a Christian, I want to access and hold on to that spirit. I'm going to exercise self-control by living the words of Romans 12, 17 through 21. This is self-control, brethren. You know what Romans 12, 17 through 21 says? See, I get to choose whether I'm mad or not. I get to choose my response. I get to choose whether I repay or not. I get to choose. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, make the right choice. It says, repay no one evil for evil. You have a choice. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Is that a choice you get to make? Just like anger, isn't it? Yep, it's your choice. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Well, I'd rather be mad. Well, then that's on you. That's the choice you make. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's self-control. I want to close out this morning's lesson by looking at the words that close out Galatians chapter 5 and how the Apostle Paul closes it. He's told you how those in the world walk in darkness. He shows, told you how the church is to be a model to show them what a righteous, joy-filled life is supposed to look like in verses 22 and 23. And then he says this, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know what that means? He said, if you belong to Christ, when you were baptized into Christ, when you repented and were baptized into Christ, and you buried that old man of sin, he said, you crucified all of that behavior up there in verses 19 and 20 and 21. You've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You might desire to get mad. What's your choice? You need to exercise self-control. You might choose to respond, in some, but, but he says, no, that's what the world does. You, you put all that away. That, that's not you anymore. If we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit every day. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another, because that's what the world's doing. And listen, you ain't going to shine the light to them and show them how it's supposed to look if you act just like them. And so I, I think about this, and I... I think, what a beautiful privilege we have. Somebody say, well, we can't save the world. Really? Say part of it, can't we? God intended for his people to be that little light of his. And it's more than just telling somebody about the gospel, it's showing them how relationships lived in the light look, and, and what a privilege. Man, I am telling you what a privilege we have from God. What our world needs now is love, sweet love, godly love. The sweet and healing balm of the fruit of the Spirit, shining forth in an unmistakable and blinding beacon from the Lord's church. We're part of the answer to taking care of that pre-enragement out there, brethren. They need to see in us and our responses to one another the clear exhibition of what it looks like to have the fruit of the Spirit of the Lord and to live in it every day. When you go to work Monday, you go to school or wherever you go or this afternoon, you're going out into a world that's full of anger and bitterness right now over so many things. You have the privilege from God showing them what joy and peace and love to show them so much better life than they can ever imagine the way they're walking right now. God has given you such a privilege. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify 
your Father who is in heaven. This morning, you got a better idea of what that means, right? This morning, if you're not a member of that church that we see in Scripture, that one New Testament church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose mission it is to shine our light, to show the dying world all around us the fruit of the Spirit and what a life lived in the light looks like. Or if you are a member of that church and you realize that maybe you need some strengthening because maybe, maybe like I woke up Wednesday morning, maybe you're just not experiencing the joy you should. And if you ain't got that joy in your heart, you certainly can't give it to somebody else. Maybe you don't have that peace Maybe you got it, but you just need to reclaim it. Whatever we can do to help you, we'd love to pray for you. But brethren, I'm telling you right now, I am charged, I am pumped. We have the privilege from God to being the answer to all of that nastiness that's out there. Isn't that awesome? We got it. God said, go show them what it looks like. Let's go show them. If you have a need this morning, when you come to